0: So if you have a Bible with you this morning, I'd like to invite you to open up your copy of God's word to 1 Samuel. So we're going to be in the Old Testament this morning, 1 Samuel chapter 1, and we're going to look a little bit at the story of Hannah. And so I've entitled our Mother's Day message this morning as A Mother's Heart. A mother's heart. When I think about the different moms in the Bible, I think this particular story of Hannah has to be one of my very favorite stories in all of scripture. And so I know it might be familiar to some of us. It might be brand new to you maybe you've never read the story of Hannah and we're gonna look at that chapter 1 of 1st Samuel together this morning and so I'm gonna pray for us and then kind of dive into our message and then we'll unpack this chapter as we work through it here together this morning so let's pray together father thank you for the rugged cross thank you for Christ who is our salvation thank you for the joy of singing the songs that we've sung this morning that would set our hearts attention and our minds focus on you and God we're grateful for our biblical examples throughout scripture of men and women who've faced pain and heartache who've trusted you by faith who've seen miraculous things done in their lives who've been true to their word and who are serving as examples for all of us to look at them as we see their faith in a good and gracious God so this morning as we examine this story of Hannah and how she gave birth to Samuel, I pray that you would use these timeless truths and principles that we see in a way that would bless and encourage our moms and all of us here today as we look into your word and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there's nothing quite like a mother's heart and there's nothing like a mom's heart for her children, the the kindness, the compassion, the care that a mom gives is really like no other. A mom's sacrifice, is for her children. A mom prays for her children. A godly mom instructs her children in the Lord. And I want to thank my mom for being a great example of that to me throughout my days in the house growing up. And I certainly want to thank Lisa, my wife, and a mom to our children for the way that she continuously and relentlessly serves us and points us to God's Word and just does such a great job. And I just want to thank all the moms again here at Placerita Bible Church this morning. We're so blessed and we're so thankful for each one of you. There's nothing like a mom who It just serves with that loving, joyful, and tireless spirit. And and there's nothing that a mom wouldn't do for her kids. I mean, a mom will give up sleep. Uh, She'll go without at the dinner table. She'll wash and put away clothes until the kids uh, leave the house. So kids, you need to start helping out a little bit, all right? Uh, but that's what a mom does for her family. Uh, a young father was trying to explain the concept of marriage to his four-year-old daughter, and he got out their wedding album and thinking the visual images would help explain to her about the entire wedding and the service, and so he explained that to his daughter. And when he was finished, he asked her if she had any questions. And she pointed to a picture of the wedding party and asked, Daddy, is this when Mommy came to work for us. You know what, and that's what happens, mom's work. I mean, it is a work of joy and a work of service, and it's all day every day, and there's no way that we could ever pay them back. And of course, it's not money that they want, but a little gratitude. It's not a paycheck that they seek, but little hearts with changed lives. The currency that a mom enjoys is sometimes just a hug and a kiss And saying thank you mom i love you and can i just thank again all of you again for just being a great example and sometimes even as a mom as we're thanking our moms and honoring our moms today i just want to acknowledge sometimes moms go through really tough times it can be tough to be a mom especially if you're not a mom yet and this is the account of hannah and the same could be true in some way in your life this morning Uh, my friend god uses heartache and pain to bring about his sovereign will in each one of our lives we're going to see in the story of hannah that she was a barren wife not yet a mother yet she longed a, a child And you may not have a child yet maybe you're here and you're married today and you don't have a child yet maybe there's something else maybe you're not a mom but there's just something else that you long for in life that you don't have it could be that you just graduated from the Masters University and you long to be married and you're not married yet it could be that you're uh, aging in your 20s and 30s and 40s and and you don't have a family yet it could be that you haven't landed that dream job it could be that you're trying for a second or third child and you don't have that yet. I mean, there's just different things that we struggle with in life that we're like, I want this, but I don't have this yet. And we see in the life and example of Hannah this morning that we've got to come back to the place where we say, you know what, God's enough. I'm going to come to him. I'm going to trust him and God can do whatever he wants because I love him. And so if you're here this morning and you feel maybe afflicted by some type of physical infirmity, some overwhelming circumstance, some opposing odds, I I want to encourage you this morning to come to God's word today, to draw close to him today. And this message is for you, for each one of us that's hurting in whatever way that we are today. Maybe you had a challenging week. Maybe you had a fantastic week, but either way, this message is for you. And so this morning on Mother's Day, I simply want to give you six truths that every mom needs to know. Number one, acknowledge that God is sovereign over your situation. God is sovereign over your situation. Samuel, 1 Samuel 1, 1 through 5. There was a certain man of of Ramathiam Zohim, uh, forgive me for like butchering that one, right? Out of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jerohim, the son of Elihu, son of Tohu, of Zuth, and Ephrathathite. (laughs) I'm not going back to verse one, people, all right. Verse two, he had two wives. The name of the first was Hannah and the name of the other Penina and Penina had children but Hannah had no children. Now this used to now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of Hosts at Shiloh where the two sons of Eli Hophni and Phinehas were priests of the Lord. And on the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and all of her sons and daughters, but to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her though the Lord had closed her womb. We're talking about here in verses one through five that God is sovereign over your situation. Now let me just quickly introduce the book of first Samuel because I know we're kind of diving in here. First Samuel is all about transition. There are three main characters in the book of first Samuel and that would be Samuel, Saul, and David. Uh, Samuel was a significant uh, part of, of the transition between the judges, where people did what was right in their own eyes, and then moving to the kings, where Samuel will be called by God as a spiritual leader of the nation to appoint and anoint the kings of Israel. And we understand that Samuel established a school of prophets, and he anointed both King Saul, who failed, and King David, who succeeded. And at a time of disaster and chaos, When everything seemed to be shaky, Samuel gave spiritual leadership to the nation of Israel and he helped move them toward a national unification and spiritual rededication. And during the period of the judges, the the Israelites were living in loose sin. The priesthood was defiled. There was no sustained prophetic message from the Lord and the law of Moses was being ignored in the land. And then comes deliverance through a baby. As he often did in Israel's history, God began to solve the problem by sending a baby. Not just any baby, but the future spiritual leader of Israel. Oftentimes, babies serve as God's announcement that he knows the need and that he cares for his people and that he is still at work on their behalf. And the arrival of a baby ushers in new life and a new beginning. Babies are sometimes signposts to the future and their conception and their birth are miracles that only God can do. Only God can produce life in the womb of a mother. Only God can bring about conception, fertilization and procreation and he does it all in the womb of a mother. David said to us in Psalm 139, 13 through 14, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together, where? In my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. And to make the event seem even greater, God sometimes selects barren women to be the mother that he has called them to be this is common throughout biblical history god gave isaac to sarah jacob and esau to rebecca joseph to rachel and in each one of these births, the mom was barren unable to have children and then the lord opened her womb you're here this morning and you are married and you want to have a baby but your womb has not yet been opened or if you're trying again for another child let me encourage you this morning to find comfort in God God knows your heart and God gives us all exactly what he wants us to have in this life and we can trust that his plan is perfect and we can trust that his timing is perfect and here in verse 1, we're introduced to Hannah's husband, Elkanah, he was a Levite, he was a Kohathite, to be exact, and he was one of these special Levites who was responsible for the holy objects of the tabernacle. And they also had the privilege of transporting the Ark of the Covenant in a very precise manner. And Elkanah was an Ephrathite, it simply means he's a Levite living in the land of Ephraim. And as you might remember the Levites were not even um, given a portion of land they were to trust the Lord and to uh, serve at the temple and God promised the Levites that he would sustain them even though they didn't have a physical inheritance now concerning Elkanah we're again talking about the husband here I want you to know that Warren Wiersbe one of my favorite commentators writes this quote in many ways Elkanah seems to be a good and godly man except that he had two wives. Apparently Hannah was his first wife and when she proved barren, he married Penina, so that he could have a family. We don't know why Elkanah did not wait on the Lord and trust him to work out his plan, but even Abraham married Hagar Genesis 16 and Jacob ended up with four wives close quote and so we're just kind of learning from Warren Wiersbe there in that quote that we're not sure what all was going on but we understand that this is what was happening and I just want to say to that that was never God's plan we understand from Genesis 224 that for this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two not three or four or five but the two right shall become one flesh So we have the husband Elkanah and he had these two wives Hannah and Penina now a situation like this as you might imagine is a setup for problems I mean a husband can have a hard enough time keeping one wife happy (laughs) but to try to keep two wives happy that's going to be a special challenge right and no matter how tough your circumstances Might be, I just want to still say to you this morning God is sovereign over your predicament. He knows what is best and He is working His sovereign will, which is perfect in every way. And then we. In verses 3 through 5 we see that Elkanah uh, the, the, is, is going to be taking his family on this annual pilgrimage to Shiloh where the tabernacle was located in order to make sacrifice and worship before the Lord Shiloh is located about 20 miles north of Jerusalem so you could make the truck there in just two or three days and remember this is before the temple was built by King Solomon in 1st Kings and so at this time the tabernacle was still the place to go for the annual feasts and sacrifices and at this time in history it had it had advanced a little bit from just being a tent to being a little bit more of a semi-permanent structure what we call the tabernacle Eli was the priest over Shiloh at the time who had two evil sons Hophni and Phinehas and they were disgusting They were ungodly men who were sinning in the worst of ways. We also know that the Lord had uh, taken away the Ark of the Covenant when Israel went into battle and lost and the Ark of the Covenant then went to the Philistines. We also know that uh, these three annual feasts uh, it prescribed by Deuteronomy 16, the Feast of the Passover, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths were to be celebrated once a year there at the tabernacle or where the temple would eventually be. And so it is probably the Feast of Tabernacles or Booths that's being celebrated in the context of this story. Now that the women were not required to go to the tabernacle to make a feast three times a year only the men were required but like any godly man oftentimes he would take his family with him in order to make the sacrifices it was be a time of family worship together now, I know that this morning is a Mother's Day sermon, but I think that Elkanah, in many ways, other than the fact that he married two women, all right, in many other ways, he sets a great example about leading his family in worship and taking his wife with him to the throne of grace and taking taking his family, if you will, his greater, his greater entourage with him to a place where he wanted to worship God together. And I think it's just a reminder for us dads, even on this Mother's Day, that we wanna be faithful to love our wives, to be with them, And the best way you can do that is to lead them to to the Lord, to lead them to God's place, to lead them into a place of prayer, a place of studying God's word, and a place where they can be in the presence of God. Do you do that, young men and older uh, dads, as a family? That's a great challenge for us uh, this morning. Now look also at verse 3. It says, it mentions that they would go and worship and sacrifice. To who? They would go worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. This phrase, the Lord of hosts, describes Yahweh as the supreme over all heavenly hosts, over all angels, and over all armies, and God rules in heaven and on earth. It's a a phrase that points us again back to God's sovereignty, back to the fact that He is the supreme ruler over all. He's the supreme ruler over all that's been created over every superpower over every kingdom over over every nation and he's the supreme ruler over your life he's the supreme ruler over your womb he's the supreme ruler over your sickness over death over catastrophe he's fully capable to do whatever he wants and so whatever he's bringing by his providence into your life this morning is according to his design And I don't know what your struggle may be today, but I do know who God is. God is majestic in holiness. He bows the knee to no one. He is the God over all, and we serve him with all of our hearts. What a great God we serve. And Elkanah knew this. He knew that the only thing that he could truly do for Hannah would be, let's keep taking you back to the place of prayer, let's keep taking you back to where God can minister to your soul. And the scripture tells us in these verses that when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions of the meat to Peninnah and her children, and to Hannah, he would give a double portion. So I believe that Elkanah had a sensitive heart, to Hannah's plight and he would give to her this double portion we could deduce from that that Hannah did not have a lack of love from her husband he loved her he adored her he prized her he took care of her he blessed her and yet verse 5 tells us it was the Lord who closed her womb you may be here today going through a trial at work or a trial Home, and I just want to encourage you that the Lord is bringing it about to strengthen you and to glorify his name. It is in weakness that we are made strong. And speaking about the thorn in the flesh, Paul says it this way in second Corinthians 12, eight through 10, three times I pleaded with the Lord about this, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And for the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Here at this point of the story, we see Hannah is weak. She is distraught. She is really struggling. And part of that is because number two is going to be this, our second heading is going to be do not listen to the voice of Penina. Do not listen to the voice of Penina. Hannah was partly crushed, not only because she didn't have what she wanted, a baby, but also because she listened to the voices of discouragement around her. And we read about that in verse six through eight, where it says, and her rival used to provoke her grievously to irritate her because the Lord had closed her womb. So it went on year by year. And as often as she went up to the house of the Lord, she used to provoke her. Therefore, Hannah wept and would not eat. And Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? Why is your heart sad? Am I not more to you than ten sons?" And so we read in verses six through eight that for whatever reason, Peninnah, her rival, took a special delight in provoking Hannah. Her rival, that word rival could be translated as her adversary, her enemy. And there is some competition going on here, similar to what we read about between Leah and Rachel, who were both married to Jacob. Penina was one who wanted to irritate. This word irritate means to trouble, to thunder against. And so Penina had Anna's number and she went after her day after day. She, she pushed her buttons. She was trying to pick a fight, almost like when you have two kids that are just getting at each other. I've told you before, I had a brother growing up, and sometimes we just knew how to aggravate each other. And the favorite thing that he would do to aggravate me is he would call me, ah, dumb. Why are you so dumb? And he would walk around the house and just repeat it, ah, dumb. Why are you so dumb? And I'm like, I can't take it anymore. You know, <laughs> it's just driving me crazy. And so Panina was likely walking around the house saying you ain't got no children you ain't got no children and she's just like driving this home and hannah was somehow listening to her i mean how often did this happen the scripture gives the indication in the verb tenses here that it was day after day it was week after week it was year after year the voices sometimes never stop And if we begin to listen to them, it begins to bring us down into a place of great sadness. And so Elkanah, like a typical man, thinks somehow he's going to solve the problem. Hey, baby, don't I mean more to you than any ten sons? He probably was flexing when he did that. And Hannah's answer, I'm sure, though it's not recorded here, would have been like, no, <laughs> you don't. <laughs> I want a baby. You know, it's like, it's a problem. I have some marriage problems here. I right? need a little marriage counseling. They needed Dr. Scott to come in on this one and help them work through this issue. When when El Cana says, don't I mean more to you than 10 sons that were 10 like we know, sometimes the word seven represents the idea of fullness or completeness. And I, I don't know what the voice of Penina might be for you in your life this morning. But you have to know know that God loves you and he cares for you and he wants you to turn off and to tune out that voice that irritating voice that's maybe saying to you this morning that you're not a good mommy or that you'll never be a good mom or whatever it is that you hear we understand that the enemy is out there continuing to badger our moms and to badger each one of us. And we need to make sure that we protect our moms and that we come alongside our moms. And I'm just asking this morning, what voice is it that's keeping you from being content for what God does have or doesn't have for you? I mean, we've got to do what Colossians 3, 2-4 says, we've got to set our minds on things above where Christ is, not on things that are on the earth, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ who is your life appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. I mean, my encouragement to you this morning, whether you're a mom or struggling with some other voice that's coming against you is do not listen to the voice of Panina. It's time to turn it off and to tune it out completely. The third thing I wanna say to you this morning is this, number three, press into the presence of God through prayer press into the presence of God through prayer. Look at verses 9 through 11. After they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, Hannah rose. Now, Eli, the priest, was sitting on the seat beside the doorpost of the temple of the Lord. She was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly. And she vowed a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, If you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but will give to your servant a son, then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall touch his head. Finally, in verse 9, we read that Hannah had enough. She rose. She stood up. And ladies, for each one of us as Christians today, there just comes a point when enough is enough. And you say, I'm not gonna sit in this situation anymore. And so what she does is she stands up and she goes to the temple. She goes to the tabernacle. Please note, Hannah did not go to the spa. Hannah did not go to get her nails done. Hannah did not go and get a latte. Though I think you moms deserve all of that today, all right? You deserve all of that today. But if you're really hurting, you understand what I'm saying. Those things provide some creature comforts, but they don't necessarily remove that pit in your soul. And if you want that pit in your soul healed, restored, encouraged, you've got to come to God you have to come to Him in prayer. When you're having trouble in your life, go to God. When you're having trouble in your marriage, go to God. When you're having trouble with your children, go to God. When you're having trouble with your barrenness, go to God. When you're having trouble with your health, go to God. When you're having trouble with stressing over your finances, go to God. When you're having trouble with your family or your friends, go to God. That's where we've gotta go. He has the answer. He has the power. He has the perspective that we need, but too many other times we stay downtrodden, listening to the voices of the world, going from depression to despair because we've never stood up and said, you know what, I'm done with this. I'm gonna go into the place of prayer. And in the Old Testament, God chose to dwell at the Ark of the Covenant, at the Tent of Meeting, in the glory cloud, the tabernacle, then later the temple. And Hannah at this point for whatever reason finally decided i need to be close to god you know james 4 8 says draw near to god and he will draw near to you if you're hurting this morning what a great opportunity to be reminded from our text today i I need to draw near to the lord am i really pouring out my heart and my soul before the Lord. And this is exactly what we see Hannah doing. When Hannah did come into the presence of the Lord at the temple, she prayed. And she prayed an incredible prayer. And it's okay to ask God in prayer for what you want. She's asking specifically for her heart's desire. She's asking for a baby. And she also with this prayer and this request, makes a vow, a vow of separation to the Lord. Now the term Nazarite is not seen in this text, but it is presupposed by the clause there in Samuel 1, 11, when it says, and no razor shall touch his head. And when we see that phrase there, it reminds us of that Nazarite vow that is more clearly seen in the life of Samson. Judges thirteen five. for behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for the child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb, and he shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. And chapter 6, verses 2 through 6, we see that the Nazarite vow was a special way one could be dedicated to the Lord by separating himself from three things, all great products, the cutting of one's hair in contact with a dead body. But the main point was that this is just another way to be disciplined, to be set apart, for God. And what Hannah is saying is in this prayer, she's trying to make sure it's understood by all that would ever hear her. Just her heart was, this is not just for me, for my sake. This is a gift that I'm asking for that I can give back to you. This is a gift that I'm praying that you would grant so that I could present this child and raise this child in such a way that this child would be set apart from you. And what a great place to pray and a great mindset to pray of God. I'm asking so that I can give. God, I'm asking so that it would reflect your glory. God, I'm asking because I want your name and your renown to be glorified and honored if you grant this request, I already commit this request to you. And so Hannah was vowing to the Lord that if he gave her a son, that God would, would, would bless the son, that she would set the son apart of the highest order and that this son would be used by the Lord all the days of his life. Hannah did not come into the place of prayer with the mindset to get, but to give. She came to ask God for a desire that she knew would bring him glory. She came to ask for something that she would give back to God. I love that request and how we see that being what it is that she prays. And so many times when we come into the place of prayer, we come with that mindset of I deserve or I need. almost like, God, you owe me. And so let's be careful as we, as we think about praying, how we do that. We don't come to prayer with the intent sometimes of exalting God. We come to prayer because it's something that we want. It was the church father, Augustine, who put it like this quote, he loves thee too little, who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. So we love God too little if we love anything else that's not for his sake. And moms you should love what you love because it's honoring to God you should want what you want because it honors God you should ask for what you ask for in prayer because it's for God's glory and we see this example just in Hannah's demeanor here she comes to her knees as we read here about how she comes and she bows before the Lord we see here uh, that Hannah has incredible honesty in her prayer she wept bitterly she, she pours out her heart. I think that's a good example that when we're in prayer that we feel the emotion of the hurt and the need and the request. And there's tears here that that, that are shed. She has irresistible humility three times in verse 11. She refers to herself as your servant. I, I love that some of the translations say as your maidservant. And she's just basically saying, God, I'm your servant. I'm your servant. I'm your maidservant I belong to you God you you hold everything in your hands and when we come to the Lord like that where we need to be humbling ourselves so I'm saying that Hannah had incredible honesty she had irresistible humility and she also had this insatiable desire to honor the Lord even in her prayer she acknowledges that God is the Lord of hosts that he's the Lord over all that we discussed earlier and she wanted to give her gift back to the Lord John Piper writes in his book, When I Don't Desire God, he writes this, quote, Most prayers in the Bible are for the gifts of God, but ultimately every gift should be desired because it shows us and brings us more of Him, close quote. Just another reminder of the same thing. In other words, our greatest desire is not I want this gift, but it's God, I want more of you. I want more of you in my life. I want more of you in my heart. I want to be satisfied with you and whatever you do choose to give, I want it to reflect you and to honor you because you are the giver. And I trust that whatever you give and however you give it, and whenever you give it, that you're the Lord of all. Now, the fourth truth that I want to share with you this morning that every mom and really all of us need to hear this morning. Number four, let your countenance be shaped by God's character and not by your circumstances. Look at verses 12 through 18 and she continued praying before the Lord. Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was speaking in her heart, only her lips moved and her voice was not heard. Therefore Eli took to her to be a uh, Eli took her to be a drunken woman. And Eli said to her, "How long will you go on being drunk? Put your wine away from you." But Hannah answered, "No, my lord. I am a woman troubled in spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but I have been pouring out my soul before the Lord. Do not regard your servant as a worthless woman, for all along I have been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, Go in peace, and the God of Israel grant you grant your petition that you have made to him. And she said, Let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went away, went her way, and ate, and her face was no longer sad. Let's pause there and look at this Point here, number four, let your countenance be shaped by God's character and not your circumstances. Uh, Notice in verse 12, it says that she continued praying before the Lord. Uh, Hannah was not there at the temple to talk to Eli, Hannah was not there at the temple to somehow get distracted with all the other ornate decorations or, or festivities going on at the temple. She was there for one purpose. She wanted just to pour out her heart to the Lord. And even in Hannah's prayer, words were not needed to express what Hannah purposed in her heart. It was John Bunyan who said, quote, in prayer, it is better to have a heart without words than words without a heart close quote. I love that reminder. It's about your heart. It's not about articulating everything so beautifully. It's not about the pharisaical prayers that we know. Oh God, I thank you. I'm not a sinner like this man, you know, where the other man was just on his on his uh, knees beating his chest I'm a sinner it's about your heart connecting with God communing with God expressing your request to God and your praise of God and even here at the end of verse 18 Hannah took encouragement after this prayer after this prayer notice that when she left that place of prayer I mean I mean uh, you know the text talks about Eli thought she's drunk remember there Israel's needing this transition from the end of the judges into the time of the kings and so maybe there was drunken people who regularly visited the temple and he's like oh great we have another drunk lady here and she's like I'm not drunk I'm pouring out my heart to the Lord and so Eli tells her that her prayer basically will be answered and that just again look at the end of verse 18 when it says um, the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad now what I like about that verse verse 18 is the question could be asked had her circumstances changed in that moment she came in, she's sad, she's not eating, she, she, she's been listening to the voice of Panina. And then all of a sudden when she stood up and she went into the place of prayer, God ministered to her heart. And when she left that place of prayer, it's not like she had a baby. She didn't have an instant answer to her prayer. She had hope and she had a perspective change. And she realized you know what God's in control and I've made my petition known to him and I'm going to trust him with what's going on and I love the fact that she was now able to eat and she's no longer sad or her face was no longer downcast. I mean too many times we allow our circumstances to control our emotions and it is possible that Penina might have still been taunting her but Hannah stopped listening to the voice of Penina and she started listening to the voice of God. She took her focus off of her problem and she put her focus on the problem solver. She stopped crying and she started rejoicing. This is what Philippians 4, 4 tells all of us. that rejoice in the Lord always and again I say rejoice and so let me just encourage you moms this morning that we are seeing here in this text that we need to be praying for a joyful heart we need to be meditating on God's Word we need to be singing praises to his name we we need to be the kind of mom the kind of person who would say you know what even if I don't have what I'm praying for I'm just gonna trust God with that I'm gonna delight in him He's more than enough to me than anything else that I could ever want. I'm going to trust him, and then see what happens next. Number five: Wait for God's perfect timing. Wait for God's perfect timing. Verses 19 and 20: They rose early in the morning and worshipped before the Lord, and they went back to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew his wife, and the Lord remembered her, and in due time. Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel. For she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. I love this reminder here that it was the very next day. I mean, Hannah is already gotten the balm for her soul, right? She's already left and she's, she's feeling better, she's looking better, her perspective has completely changed. Now, this may have been the first time that Hannah that next morning was able to really worship God with a, with a full heart, with a heart of faith, with a heart of trust. And so they, they go back to Ramah and notice the phrase here where the Bible says in due time. When, when the Bible says in due time, that means in God's time, in God's time. He can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, because he's Lord over all. And when he's not doing something that you're wanting, it means it's not due time. It means it's not God's time. It's your time. And Samuel here, or excuse me, Hannah here, knew that she needed to to trust the Lord. And so even when she names uh, her child Samuel, the word, the name Samuel means heard of God. And so when she names her son, she knows God heard me. I love the phrase here that God remembered her. He knows her need. He's communed with her in prayer. She has she has this this understanding that I've given it up to God and I'm going to leave it in his hands. And you know what? God hears your prayers and he will answer them in accordance with his will. And our job is just to trust him. Our job is to be like the persistent widow who 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 relentlessly like in Luke chapter 18 and she just kept coming and she just kept coming and she just kept coming and that parable talks about like well the the guy the judge finally gave up and gave her what she needed because he was just tired of it and if a bad judge would do that to a woman who kept asking how much more will a good God give to his children what they asked for. It, it's Matthew 7, 7, where Jesus says on the, in the Sermon on the Mount, ask and it will be given unto you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open." For whoever asks, receives. And whoever uh, seeks, finds. And whoever knocks, the door will be opened. And, and, and Hannah was just asking of God. He, she's bringing her request to God, but she's also trusting that God's going to answer this prayer in his own way. That's Isaiah 55, 8, and 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, declares the Lord, neither are my ways your ways. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. That means we have to trust in the Lord's wisdom, we have to trust in his timing. Isaiah 40, 28 through 31 says, Have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord, the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth, is not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint, and to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. But those who wait for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. It's just a great reminder. We pray and then we go about our way trusting God every moment of every day. We wait on the Lord's timing. It's Psalm 27, 14. Wait on the Lord. Be strong. Take heart and wait for the Lord. Here's what we're learning this morning. Mama, you can't make it happen. But God can. Mama, it's not about your timing to get what it is that your soul desires, but it's about trusting in a faithful God. It's about trusting in his ways and it's about trusting in his providence and it's about trusting in his perfect timing. The sixth truth that I want to give to you this morning that every mom and each one of us needs to hear is this number six. Keep your vow. Keep your vow verses 21 through 28 then Elkanah and all of his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and to pay his vow. But Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned. So reading between the lines there in verses 19 and 20 when it says, and Elkanah knew his wife and God remembered her, it means that she conceived and she's now with child. And to wean a child in that context oftentimes would be until the child is two, three, or even four years old. And so as Elkanah continued to go sacrificing to the Lord, Hannah didn't go because she's weaning that child, that, that boy, Samuel, and said, and so Elkanah verse 23 uh, said, uh, well, let, let me go back to 22. And Hannah did not go up for she said to her husband, as soon as the child is weaned, I will bring him so that he may appear in the presence of the Lord and dwell there forever. And then we read in verse 25, then they slaughtered the bull and they brought the child to Eli and she said, Oh, my Lord, as you live, my Lord, I am the woman who was standing here in your presence, praying to the Lord. For this child, I prayed and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he is lent to the Lord and he worshiped the Lord there. What a great ending to the story and I just want to say here that we've got to understand that Hannah made a promise to God and she made a vow before the Lord that her son would be set apart and I I want to just say to you today that that you can't make a vow flippantly there's no need for us to be walking around vowing to God that you're going to do this or do that. Right, but Matthew uh, five thirty-three and thirty-seven, in James five twelve tells us to yet our, let our yes be yes and our no be no. Uh, this does not mean that you can't take an oath or vow before God ever. There's appropriate times to do that. Maybe at a wedding, you say your vows to your bride and to your groom. Uh, you say a vow sometimes uh, when you're when you're joining a church. You you make a, a solemn promise, a covenant that you would make. Uh, you do that as well when you're being ordained into the ministry. And so, what, what I'm saying here is that we ought to avoid flippant, profane, and careless use of words in everyday speech. And when you're going to do something, you should uh, let your word carry your promise and then you fulfill that. And what I'm saying is, what do you think would have happened if Hannah went through everything that we read and yet it says in the last section here, and Hannah took the child and she ran up to Samaria and then she went from there to Galilee and then she went up into Turkey. You know, we'd be like, what, Hannah, what in the world? You promised God that you would bring this child and she kept her vow. She did exactly what it was God called her to do. And according to Exodus 13, a firstborn son was to be redeemed by a sacrifice. And so when she does keep this vow and she does bring this child in, we understand here that Making an appropriate sacrifice with a three-year-old bull an effa of flour and a skin of wine. Uh, they brought these three things in accordance with the law uh, of Numbers chapter 15. And they even brought, if you did the math here, they brought more than what was needed uh, out of the abundance of her heart. She brought even more than what the sacrifice required. And the point here is that Hannah went above and beyond what was required of her to fulfill that vow. So what can we learn from our story of of Hannah this morning? We got to understand that Hannah was someone who was going to keep her word. She was going to keep God's law fully. She was going to go above and beyond her Christian duty. Uh, God had taught Hannah a great lesson, a great lesson about trust and about timing and about his love for her. Some, Some would say that the picture of Elkanah, when he said that he gave her a double portion is a picture of God giving a double portion to his children, where God is in effect saying to each one of us, I love you. And yet here we are sometimes hurting, not eating, not partaking of the blessings that God gives. And we go into a corner and we just cry and we hurt. And there's a time and a place to cry and hurt. But the point is you can't stay there. You can't stay in that place. There's a time when you have to, like Hannah, to get up and to come into the place of prayer and to pour your heart out before the Lord and to allow God to minister to your heart. And even if in that moment, he doesn't miraculously give you what it is that you asked for that you can leave still trusting God, knowing God and having your heart shaped by the promises of God. What is it that God's teaching you this morning through this example? James one, two through four says, count it all joy, my brothers, whenever you meet trials of various kinds, knowing that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. What an incredible reminder this morning. May God continue to give us a joyful heart, even in the midst of trying circumstances. May God show himself to be faithful to you time and time again. And may you have a very happy mother's day let's pray together father thank you for this morning thank you for the opportunity just to dive into this text and to learn from this narrative just a few timeless truths this morning on mother's day that would just remind us that we're going to put our faith in you we're going to trust in you we're going to love you we're going to follow you and i pray god that if there would be someone here this morning that's been going through a rough time a lot of hurt a lot of pain God, that maybe they've been listening to that voice of Penina. I pray that this morning, based on the truths that we've seen in this passage of scripture, that they would rise up, that they would enter into that place of prayer, that they would set their heart and their mind upon you. We're just thankful for moms who may be hurting even this morning to say, you know what, I'm, I've already given my kid back to the Lord, but my kids walked away from God. I don't know what to do as, as a mom. I pray that you would minister to that mom's heart at this very moment and just remind each mom that as long as she's been faithful and as long as she's been diligent, that you have uh, this whole world in your hands, Lord, that we don't have to carry any burden this morning, that we can come to Christ, come unto me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. God, I pray that this morning that we could have countenances changed, hearts transformed, trusting in you, God, to bring about your will at your time and in your way. God, we're so thankful this morning for this narrative that just reminds us of how you did all of this to sustain your people as Samuel became a, an incredible spiritual leader who both. Uh, confronted Saul and who lifted up David and who pointed us to the greater David the Lord Jesus Christ just part of the narrative of redemptive history part of the narrative to remind us that you are the Lord of hosts the Lord of all and that if you're the Lord of all you're certainly the Lord over our wounds and over our hearts and over the hurts that we face but you're also the Lord who allows us to eat again to wipe our faces and to leave that place of prayer with confidence and hope as we look to the future and as we look to see how it is that you'll provide and how it is that we can anticipate your return and how it is that we can be encouraged today no matter what we're facing God we pray that you would encourage every mom this morning and every mom uh, every woman who would desire to be a mom that you would help them just to be faithful to trust you to walk with you and whenever they're hurting and whatever they're in, in, uh, in fear or in, uh, in disarray, God, I pray they might come back to this story and say, "You know I'm going to read for Samuel, I'm going to allow this to minister to my heart. I'm going to be reminded of the faithfulness of my God. I'm going to be reminded of His love for his own. I'm going to be reminded that God offers a double portion to me, and that I'm content in Him. And so I pray God that you would be exalted in the hearts of your people, even as we sing this last song, and as we leave from this place this morning, may our hearts be full. Goodness in the greatness of God. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.